Thank you for listening to this podcast from Monclova Road Baptist Church. For more information about this message and the ministries of Monclova Road Baptist Church, please visit monclovabaptist.org. Mark chapter 3, if you turn there with me, Mark chapter number 3. Pray for our country. We um, was watching the news this afternoon and a little bit, boy, our country needs prayer, doesn't it? Everywhere from the White House to the church house and every other house in this country needs God's power. And it's easy to point fingers at other people. The reality is, well, we need God's power ourselves, and we need help. Pray for those in uh, Charlottesville and Virginia. Just a tragedy. Just hate and what causes a person to hate like that? It's a shame. It's sin. And so we need to pray. And then, uh, you know, our country, our politicians, they use whatever they can to make an issue out of something that's not an issue, you know. Um, and uh, when there are big issues like this happening in our country. So you pray, and uh, you know God will answer the prayer of the righteous. All right, chapter 3 of Mark, the Bible says, And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. Those also same, same uh, stories, if you wanted to cross-reference, you'd find the same story in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. You'd also find the same story in Luke chapter 6. And uh, my goal is to uh, look at Luke chapter 6 this evening as well, but you'd find the same story. In the gospel, if you're studying through the gospel, I encourage you to uh, to get a cross-reference some of these. Sometimes, uh, as we see a story in the gospel, maybe another uh, author uh, in one of the other gospels give a little bit more detail. It doesn't mean that one of them was uh, conflicting or contradicting someone else, just sometimes more details given in another gospel about the same, uh, same story. And uh, it's interesting to study through these. But you'd find this same story, this man, Jesus, is back in the synagogue. He's healing. He comes to a man that's got a withered hand, and the Bible says in verse number two, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. Once again, we find the Pharisees. They didn't care that there was a man there that had a withered hand. The Bible says that they were watching Jesus to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the man which hath the withered hand, stand forth. And he said unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. They knew they were caught. How do you answer that question? And when he had looked around about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out. His hand was restored whole as the other. Look at the Pharisees' response. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Now think about this passage of scripture. I didn't intend on going through the book of Mark. I just got excited about all the lessons that we can learn in the book of Mark. And I've been there last several Sunday evenings. As a matter of fact, Mike Tony said to me last week, boy, that's three messages that you preached out of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. And I said, is it really? I didn't realize that. Uh, the Lord is just, there's some good stuff there. We come, we come to a place where we looked last week where the Pharisees are just looking to criticize Christ. 
And then we come to another time here, in the very next chapter. Jesus is back in the synagogue. He's back there on a, on a, uh, a Sabbath day, on Lord's Day. And there was a man there that has a hand that is withered or maybe a hand that he's not able to use. And the Bible doesn't say if what happened to that hand. We don't know uh, if he got hurt at work. We don't know if he got, was born that way. We just know that here was a man. And if you're not able to use your hand, you probably aren't able to work. And in those times, in those days, there was not the, the uh, uh, safety net that countries like America has for those that uh, aren't able to work. If you weren't able to work and your family could not care for you, you didn't eat. And you'd stand by the roads and you'd beg. And he'd be at the synagogue and he was probably begging for help and looking for help. And these Pharisees probably saw this man every time they came to the synagogue. And instead of seeking to, to get this man help, the Bible says they were deliberately looking to see what Jesus was going to do. Now, how many of you would agree that's a heart problem? Would you agree with that? You know, there's people that are all around us and need help. And here are the Pharisees, that what they want to do is they want to find something that they can fall, find uh, fault in in Christ. And Jesus, his response, and we're, we'll get into each of these verses here. I just want to kind of lay it out this evening. His response was he was angry. He was angry, and the Bible says he was grieved. You see that in... in um, Verse number five, and when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto them, Amen, stretch forth thine hand. He stretched it out. His hand was restored. Jesus doesn't not meet the need of someone else because of his anger toward the Pharisees. But as he's looking to heal, as he's looking to, to, to help, they're looking just to find fault. And then what do you find in verse number six? Instead of there being a, a attitude of rejoicing, somebody that was once harmed now is healed. Somebody that once probably was begging that needed help now can help themselves. There's now someone that has both of their hands that can function in society, and this man no longer is going to go without. This man now can work. This man can now supply. And above all that, Jesus just healed this man. And the response was, go to the Herodians and figure out, how can we take care of this problem? Now, what's the problem? The problem was this, the blind were being healed, they could see. The lame could walk. The man with the withered hand, he could choose it once again. The, the, the leopards were, were, were healed, and, and Jesus was making man whole. And they were seeking to find a way to destroy him. The Bible says, and how they might destroy him. I want to look this evening as the Pharisees continue to antagonize Christ. In these few few verses. Now, I know last week it got real quiet, and this week it started real quiet. So how many of you are hot? Is it hot in here? All right. Up here is a little hot. How many of you are cold? How many of you are just right? All right, good. All right, we're going to go with the just right, okay? All right. All right, the Pharisees, they've watched Christ's ministry in this specific area. And they're, 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 they're growing in their um, animosity toward his teaching. 
They're upset with what he's saying. His miracles stem from the, his love for them and his desire for Israel to turn back to God and accept the Messiah. But you find here that the Pharisees, they are already predetermined that everything Christ did was wrong. It didn't matter what Jesus was teaching. It didn't matter that he was going to come in and heal this man. They stood there before he even healed the man. They predetermined that what he was going to do, however he was going to do it. It didn't matter what Jesus was going to do that day. He was wrong. And we need to be careful, church, as Christians, I believe, as a religious crowd, that we need to be careful that we're not always looking like the Pharisees here, looking for something always wrong. How many of you, how many of you would admit you've had that attitude at one time in your life or another? I have. I have. The truth is, that's because we're humans. But just because we've had that spirit, and because we've had that attitude, and because we're humans, it doesn't make it right. Because it's hurtful. Here's Christ. Here's the Messiah. Here's the Son of God. Here is God. He comes to seek and to save that which we're lost. And it's the religious crowd that's keeping people from hearing Jesus. It's the religious crowd that's causing a meeting to happen with the Herodians that how can we destroy what Jesus is trying to do? Now, just that thought. How many of you, if you really, if you really think about that thought, isn't that insane Jesus is trying to accomplish something in their life, and they're resisting him. And so I want you to see in verse number one, I want you to see the, uh, I want you to see with me, the Bible says, he entered again into the synagogues, and there was a man there with a, uh, which had a withered hand. Now, what we're going to look at here is when Jesus, the difference between what Jesus sees and what the Pharisee sees. When Jesus comes in, the Bible doesn't say the first thing he realizes is that there are Pharisees there. The first thing that Jesus realizes when he comes in the synagogue is that there was someone there that needed help. There was someone there that had a need and he had an answer to that need. Man, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we came into the house of God and our first attitude was this, I'm going to look for someone that needs help. I'm going to look for somebody that looks lonely today. I'm going to look for someone that's going through a trial today. I'm going to look for somebody that physically needs help. I'm going to look for somebody that I can invest what I have and what my resources are into somebody's life so that they can be healed. Do you know this morning in our church and every Sunday morning, and this evening I would say as well, there are people here that they need someone that will be Christ to them. There were people here this morning that are struggling in their marriage and they need someone to come alongside them and encourage them. There's someone here this morning, there were guests here this morning that need someone to come alongside of them and, and befriend them. You know, they, uh, I was reading a, a, a book not long ago and they said there's a difference between a friendly church and a church that, fr- that, has, that is friendly or a church that has friends. A difference between a friendly church and a church that has friends. You know, you could come in and everyone in there could shake their hand and say how nice it is to see you and walk away and go about their business or someone could actually stay there and invest time in you and seek to meet a need and truly be a friend to you. You know, we always want to be a a friendly church. 
But I think we ought to take a step further and be the type of church that Jesus here is modeling. When he came into the house of God, when he came into the synagogue, the first thing he looked for is who has a need and who can I help meet a need? The Pharisees, the first thing they did when they came into the synagogue is they looked what Jesus was doing, what was wrong, and how am I going to find fault in what's being done? There's a difference here. Christ was again here in Capernaum. He, 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 he's here on the Sabbath day once again. He's in the synagogue once again on the Sabbath day. He's, see, Mark chapter 1, verse number 28 says this. He's spread abroad throughout all the region. So Jesus has been at this place before, and all of the region has heard that Jesus can heal the sick. All the regions has heard who Jesus is, and there, there's a great multitude that comes to Jesus every time he makes his presence into these cities in this region. Why? Because he's constantly seeking those that have a need. How does a church, how should a church grow? How should a church uh, 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 get into the community? I believe this, a church ought to have such an impact in the community because people know that people at that place care and invest their lives in the life of other people. We need to remember that the church is not a place where we can come and it's all about us, but the church is a place for us to be recharged so that we go out into a community and we reach the community with help from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a, we have a, um, the Brandywine uh, Country Club just up the street. We're just six houses away from the entrance there. And um, we... Um, Go by there, and, and every time I go by there, it's, it says country club, country club. I drive by, and boy, the grass is just beautiful. And they're always putting things on our doors, wanting us to come eat at the restaurant. They're always making, talking in the area there, the improvements. The neighbors talk often about you know, the improvements they're making so that people want to be there. They have a pool there, and they put invitations for us to come watch movies at the pool. And they're making all of it the things so nice so that people can come and just enjoy their time at this country club. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't a pool sound nice right now? Huh? Someone waiting on you? They're putting all the money into this place. I heard this, that the new owner put $2 million into the country club. How many of you want to join? Huh? Two million dollars. It's a country club. The reason they do that is so that their members have all of their needs met. It's a great place to join, and when you come, and I'm not against that. If you want to do that, wonderful. But that's not the purpose of a church. A church is a place where we ought to be refreshed so that we can find needs and meet those needs. The church ought to be a place, like Jesus comes to this place, he's constantly looking, and it's spread abroad that he's in the region. And when, listen to me, when Monclova Road Baptist Church goes out in the community, it ought to be spread abroad that when that church goes in the community, they're looking for people to help. They're looking for needs. They're looking for an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. 
They're looking for the one that's hopeless today, but tomorrow they have hope because somebody came along with help and helped that person. They're looking for the person that's down and out, that, that can't seem to get by. Listen to me, if we're not careful, church, we can get to a place where that's not the type of people we want to minister to. I know of a very good friend in the ministry. His first ministry was in Louisiana. Graduated from Bible college and went to Louisiana. He was so excited to be in the ministry. So excited. And that church ran, uh, bought a bus and they wanted to go into the community there and pick up buses and they started to do that. Somebody said, let's go pick up little children and they started picking up kids in the, in the community, in the, in the apartment complexes and started bringing the kids to church. And the people at church got upset. They got upset and they said, what are we bringing these children into our church for? They're going to mess our pews up. And then we're going to give them, give them things and they're going to spill things on our carpet. And they actually got upset and it came to the place where the church had a vote not to allow children to come in on the buses any longer. That pastor friend of mine had to decide that that wasn't the type of church he wanted to be at. They weren't looking, they weren't looking to meet a need in the community. They were looking just to be a country club. They were looking to make sure their needs were met. Jesus here gives us an example. In this place, when Jesus went abroad, he went abroad and people would come and hear, and they'd want to see what Jesus was doing. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse number 6, and it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered, the same parallel passage that we find here in Mark. That verse, that, that verb tense used is withered. Listen, they, it, it, it gives us the indication that this man had been injured for some horrible, uh, some amount of times, maybe some horrible accident happened. His hopes for the future would have been diminished greatly because of this injury. And if this man could get help, his whole future would change. The Pharisees knew this man because that was the synagogue they worshipped in and there wasn't a help they could give this man. Jesus just meets that man. He has compassion on that man. And what Jesus can offer would change that man's future. The Pharisees were upset. Now listen to me. The gospel message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is the answer. You know what the answer to Charlottesville, Virginia is and, and that hate crime and that, ter- that terrorism and that, 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 that sinful act that happened this weekend? The answer is Jesus Christ. You know what the answer this evening to that, that, that home that, that dad's out drinking and dad spent all, all weekend drunk and spent the money on, on alcohol all week long and, 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 and probably that, the, the, the home now has a, a dad that this evening some child will be abused and, and maybe there'll be some, uh, a mom, some, some, some lady that'll be abused in the home. You know what the answer to that home is? It's Jesus Christ. The answer to the drug addict is Jesus Christ. The answer to those that are grieving is Jesus Christ. And in each and every week, we start that back up for this fall semester here. We're going to find where, where Monday nights, there's going to be a place for people that can find hope. They're grieving and they can come and find hope in Christ. I spoke to a man this afternoon after church. 
he was talking to Pastor Oscar and he left his phone in your office. So he came back up this afternoon looking to, to get his phone and, and uh, talking with a little. He said, my mom passed away uh, this weekend and Pastor Oscar's going to do the funeral tomorrow uh, for her. And he just began, we were in the lobby over there, he just began to weep and cry. Broken. He said, I'm 41 years old and my mom... Boy, she's been through, with me through everything in my life. And, and some of the things in my life I've done, isn't, they're not good. He said, but my mom was with me the whole way. He says, now she's gone. And he was standing there weeping and just telling me about his story here. And I looked over on the track rack. And the first thing I saw there was, was, a, was a pamphlet for grief share. And I pulled that pamphlet. And I said, listen, there's a, there's a ministry here that can help you. They can help you deal with that grief. They can help you to, to, to deal with that sorrow. And, and there's, there's a, a, a group here that will help you. And you know what they use? They use the word of God. And they'll give you hope. Bart, that was baptized in the second service this morning. Bart told me not long ago, he just said, boy, I need a second chance. He said, I've messed up. I've made mistakes. I've, I've sinned. He's got a lot of things that he's facing in his life right now. He came out after he got baptized today and he walked through that door and he says, I, I, feel, I feel like I got a second chance in life now. He says, I'm going to turn my life over to Christ and, 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 and I'm going to walk with the Lord. I, I feel like I got a second chance. And that's the way it ought to be. People ought to, when they come to Christ, they ought to feel relief. They ought to feel that there's hope. They ought to feel when somebody comes across your path, they ought not leave feeling frustrated. They ought not leave getting everything that you're frustrated about loaded upon them. But when a child of God walks up to somebody in this world, we ought to give them hope. Look for a need. Meet a need. Christ comes to this place and he sees this man. His future is hopeless. Jesus says, that's the one I want to help. Jesus had compassion on this man. And in his time, his, in, in time, his life would be used to testify who Jesus Christ was. Listen, the more, the more we introduce to Jesus, the more Jesus then gets introduced to this world. Think about that. I can't reach every single person in this community. I can't reach every single person in this world. But the more I reach, the more others can reach for Jesus Christ as well. We need to go. This, this man took the gospel message, took what Jesus Christ had done for him, and he went out and began to testify of the goodness of God and the power of God. Jesus' acceptance. Aren't you glad that his acceptance on us is not based on our might or our intellect or on the power we possess? Aren't you so glad when Jesus saw this man, it wasn't what this man can do for me? It wasn't about what does this man have to offer? Boy, doesn't Jesus in this passage see people so different than we see people? We see people who are not careful how they can add to what we're doing. Jesus sees people as what I can add to them. He's not looking for what you can offer me. He's looking for what he can do to help somebody. If we're not careful, we can spend life looking. If I invest into this, what's the return going to be? If I put my effort into this, what's the return going to be? Jesus just simply put his effort knowing that whatever he put into somebody, they're going to be better off with what he has than if they're just left hopeless by themselves. This world left without Jesus Christ, they're left hopeless. 
The Bible still says, as I mentioned this morning, the Bible in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, we live in a world they are seeking rest. We're living in a world that's seeking hope. We're living in a world that's seeking for answers. And we've got to bring Jesus Christ to this world so that this world can have rest. It's in turmoil. It's in chaos. Paul testified of this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He said this, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. There's nothing in our lives so debilitating that God cannot use it for his glory. Listen, you have no excuse and I have no excuse not to serve Jesus. You say, well, look at, look at my, my fault here. Or look at my failure here. Or look at me here. I, I can't do this and I can't do that. I was sitting on the front row here and I didn't know this, but, but Oscar can actually sing. And so can Zeta. I'm sitting, I put a little note, get Tom to get them to sing. I'm sitting on that front row, and I thought, that is a beautiful sound. Who are the new people sitting in here? And I turn around, and it's the Oscars. Singing. Listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you think you might have or what you think is, is limiting you. God can use whatever you have to bring glory to himself. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savior, sa uh, savior of his knowledge by us in every place. I want you to see in verse number two, we see in verse number one, Jesus is receptive to this man. In verse number two, I want you to see the response of the critics. Jesus not only, he was not only interested in the man with the withered hand, the Pharisees watched as well. They watched. See, and they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. The Pharisees watched, but not with the same intentions. This word watched here, as used here, it's an idea of scrutiny. They were watching to find fault. They were carefully observing, kind of like a, a deputy sheriff would do as they're watching somebody, waiting for them to mess up, thinking maybe this person's up to something no good, waiting to catch them. That's how we find the same response here of these critics. But you know, Christ, he's not a criminal. Christ wasn't there to do something wrong. Christ wasn't there to, to, to uh, 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 cause, cause hardship. Christ was there to, to help heal a man that needed healing. Christ was there looking for someone to invest in. Their, their observation in Mark chapter 3, verse 2, it was tainted with an evil agenda. How many of you agree with that? What they're looking to do is evil. It's evil on many, many places. They're looking for a way to accuse Jesus of wrongdoing. They're looking for a way to find fault in God. Think that the religious crowd would attack Christ. To think that the religious crowd would not want Christ to work. 
to think that the religious crowd would want to keep Christ from doing the work that he came here to do. Think about it, church. Could you imagine someone that has their focus on the wrong thing? That they'd be more concerned about finding fault than seeing Jesus work? If we're not careful, though, church, that could describe us. If we're not careful, we can look at fault instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus. If we're not careful, we would be satisfied as long as life fit our narrative and nobody ever got the need met by Christ. What ought to motivate us, encourage us three weeks in a row to have the baptismal water stirred? What ought to motivate us, encourage us to know that people come to the house of God to find help and they find help? That ought to help us and motivate us to know that there's resources this afternoon. There's men and there's women in the jails teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. And there's men and women in the jails throughout the week teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. There'll be people here all throughout the week. There'll be people here on Friday ready with a Bible in their hand, ready with a curriculum in their hand, waiting for someone to come, looking for someone that has an addiction, looking for someone to minister to. That ought to encourage us. Encourage us to know that people are in the community handing a track out, witnessing, sharing Jesus Christ with people. That ought to encourage us. But we find here the response. The response to the critic was not, praise the Lord, he's healing another. The response was this, they stood waiting for Christ to help this man so they could accuse him of breaking one of their rules. That is the heart of a chronic critic. You know, it's not about the truth. With the chronic critic, it's not about the truth. It's about only it's about only about being right in their own eyes. The Pharisees watched Christ, but they never saw a thing. Do you realize that? They watched him, but they never saw a thing. They watched him heal, but they didn't see what he was doing. They watched him take this man with a withered hand. They watched him heal the, 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 the lame. They watched him heal the blind. They watched him as he taught and as he, as he helped the disciples. They watched him as the crowd came to him as they left and this crowd was healed. They watched him feed the 5,000. They watched him feed the 4,000. They saw what he did, but they didn't really see him. Because in their mind, they already determined what they wanted to see. You know, let me just get personal with you. That's a problem. If we're not careful, we as human beings have. And that's why there's so many things in our life and so many conflicts in our life that we can never get victory over. Because we don't ever dare see it somebody else's way. We go into... We go into situations already predetermined what we think, and it's almost like this, just like Jesus saw here, their hearts were hardened. And if you were to look and actually understand what this hardened heart meant, it was, it was similar to their heart being as, as marble. In Greek, that word hardness is porous. 
It's a word used for marble. Marble is impressive. It's finely polished, expensive, in one of the hardest, unyielding materials on earth. And that's what Jesus compared their heart to. How many of you would love to be compared to marble? A marble heart. One of the hardest, unyielding things on earth. And if we're not careful, listen, we can approach everything in our life with a heart of marble. Walking to every situation, whether it's at work, whether it's in your home, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're at a place in your marriage right now where it just seems like, well, we just don't seem eye to eye. You know why? Probably because there's both parties that have some marble in their heart. You're going in there with a preconceived idea that you're right and that what your way is always right. And instead of letting Christ work in your marriage, instead of letting Christ work in that, that situation, you've got a preconceived idea that that person's wrong. And it doesn't matter what Christ wants to do. You've already got your opinion on that matter. Some of you are walking to work this week and you'll have conflict with your coworker. Some of you right now are dreading going into work because you got conflict and you don't know how to deal with that conflict. Sometimes it's because we got a heart of marble. Come on, it's getting quiet in here again. That's two weeks in a row. I don't want you to get quiet. I want to help you. I want to help you because I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is coming again. And I don't believe that we're doing all we can. I think there's still things that are keeping us back. I think there are still things that are keeping us from doing all that God wants us to do. I think there's still problems that we got to work through, just like we find here in Mark chapter 3. The Pharisees, instead of getting behind what Jesus is wanting to do, they're looking and waiting for things to complain about. And that's why some of the relationships you have are stagnant and stale. And that's why some of you, when you come to the house of God, you've lost your joy and lost your excitement. You say, boy, I just don't have the joy like I used to have. It's because you don't have the joy like you used to have. It's because you don't have the servant's heart like you used to have. It's like you're not coming now like you used to come. You used to come and say, boy, if there was something to get involved in, I want to get involved in it. If there's something going on, I want to get involved. If there's people that need help, I want to get help. If there's an offering to be taken, I want to give. If there's a ministry to serve, and I want to serve. And now it's just looking around. You know, there's no one doing this. There's no one doing that. This is wrong, that's wrong. Listen, we've got to realize this, that God, God is not wanting us to have this hardened heart. God is not wanting us to have this heart of marble. God is designed for us to see people like Jesus saw people. He has put us here on this earth. He has put us here in this community. He has put us here for this time and this place to serve others so that others can experience the joy that you once had in Jesus. Renewal of a crippled man. Look with me in verse 3 to 5. And he said unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. You know, Jesus knew exactly what they were planning. So he called to that man with the withered hand saying, stand forth. You know, he didn't just say stand up. He said, stand forth. He was literally telling that man to stand right there in the middle of that group. Stand up and show others what Jesus Christ is about ready to do. You know what it takes? It takes for someone to believe that Jesus Christ still can heal. 
It takes for someone to believe that Jesus Christ can still save. It takes for someone to believe that Jesus Christ still can work through a local New Testament church. It still believes that God can still build a church. It takes for someone still to believe that God wants to use your talents to, to bring glory to him. It still takes someone to stand and say, you know what, God's given me the ability to sing. Listen to me, we got people that are singing across this platform. And maybe you say, I don't really like someone on that platform. That platform. Instead, why don't you say, bless God, someone's using their talent for Jesus. Bless God, there's someone that's teaching a Sunday school class. Praise God, there's someone working in the nurseries. Praise God, there's somebody that's, that's working in the children's church. Praise God, there's a youth activity going on. Praise God, there's still people that are giving of their time and giving of their resources so young people can go to camp. Praise God, there's still people being saved. Boy, there's so much that we could look at. There's so much that if we kept our eyes on what Jesus is doing, we'd have something rejoicing. We had a wedding here yesterday. The Jeffrey's daughter got, got married, Alyssa. So I was here Friday and Saturday with that. And I saw Rich Granada had gone down and to Pastor Carter's church. Pastor Carter every summer has a, has a uh, closes their street off and has a block party pretty much for everyone in his community. Uh, Pastor Carter was from Resurrection Baptist Church, the church we helped last summer, last this past year, and opens up their church and feeds everyone in their community just looking for people to, to minister and to help. I told you this last year I was there and I met a lady. I met a lady that was there. She was sitting there and she... You could tell she kind of rough. You could tell she had a rough life. She had some teeth that maybe some missing and some teeth that were rotted. She came over though and she had the biggest smile I've ever seen on anybody's face. Living in a neighborhood most of us wouldn't want to live in. Well, she came over, though, and she had the biggest smile on her face. You see, something happened there the year previously. She came to this, came to this block party in the middle of, of, of Toledo there, and this church was putting on. This church fed her. This church loved her. This church befriended her. This church preached Jesus Christ to her, and she got gloriously saved. And her life changed because she met Jesus. And a year later, she's now serving. She's not there looking for help. She's there looking to give help. Oh, to hear her testimony and to hear what Jesus Christ had done in her life, to know, listen to me, that's real New Testament church. Making an impact, making a difference in somebody's life. Listen to me, the Pharisees went to the synagogue. The Pharisees went to the, to, to the place of worship. And when they left the place of worship, you know how they left? They left bitter. They left discouraged. They actually went to the Rodians, the people they hated. And said, we got to do something about this Jesus. There was this man with a withered hand. He comes to the house of God. He's not able to work. He's not able to keep care for himself. He's discouraged. He's down and he's out. And Jesus says right in the middle of the crowd, I want you to stand, stand forth. And he stands up and he pulled that hand out and he went in with that hand withered and he left with that hand whole. Well, you would think that everybody in that place would leave rejoicing. Hey, we met Jesus today. 
there was somebody that came in and had a need today and they left without that need. Why? Because Jesus met that need. Instead, there were some that got so upset because Jesus met a need. They went and they went and said, we've got to destroy what Jesus is doing. Oh, thank God. Thank God there's still churches that say, I want to meet a need. Thank God there's still people that come to the house of God that say, I'm looking for someone to invest in. I'm looking for someone to love. I'm looking for the person that isn't lovely, and I'm looking to give them some love. I'm looking for somebody that has a great need. Instead of us running, "Uh uh-oh, there's a needy person, we run to that needy person instead of from that needy person. Jesus in Mark chapter 3 gives us a wonderful example of what church ought to be like. Church is a hospital where sick people come in and find help. Church is not a religious museum where people come in and look all around and say, boy, I don't know if I can ever achieve that. Because if they really knew us, none of us have achieved. If we have anything, it's by God's grace and his mercy.